welcome to X-Rated Movies! Ay, 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 ay! And we got Charo over there in one <laughs> corner and uh, Xavier Cugat in the other. <laughs> this is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date and now they don't. Now we talk about movies. My name is Ryan Whedon. My name is Matthew Fisher. Happy birthday, John Waters! If right. You're, if you're good. listening to this on the day it came out, it's John Waters' birthday. And there's a good probability that he is listening to this. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, happy birthday to you, John Waters. Shall, shall we sing it? No. <laughs> we don't have time for that. We have podcasting to do, damn it. You're right. We have important work to do here. We are on a, a strict schedule, and we cannot deviate. Very well, my good man. What is issue number one on the docket? Issue number one... I'm going to talk about this drink I made. Oh. So we're doing gay movies this season. So I wanted to start us off with a drink that I think embodies the the specific theme of not only gay movies, but uh, the specific caliber of gay movies that we've chosen to partake upon. So this might look like a simple Bloody Mary in front of us. Well, that's what I was assuming. But it's actually, to the refined palate, has a smack of clam to it. Oh, what have you done to me? <laughs> it's actually a bloody Caesar, mm, yeah. so it has clamato juice in it. It's actually quite good. Well, see, that's what I was uh, uh, sort of bargaining on because uh, it's like something normal, but with just that little hint of clamminess. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that represents the movies that we're going to be doing today. Oh, yeah. It seems like something familiar, but it's got, you know unkosher elements to it <laughs> a smack of the sea <laughs> just a a suggestion of <laughs> sand mussels <laughs> i just assumed you put a little asiago cheese in here i don't know what that is it's you know like a a hard italian cheese that you might grate over some pasta oh you mean parmesan similar to parmesan oh. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm not a foodie. <laughs> well, hence <laughs> me serving you a drink with clamato. <laughs> well, excuse me. I I made the decision recently that because I don't have children, I can spend thirty some dollars on cheese if I want to at the grocery store. For how much cheese? You know, a little, a little bit. A little bit of cheese. I'm spending my money on cheese. I also have no children, and I go for the cheese whiz. <laughs> I don't buy any cheese that you can buy in a cheese aisle. I want my cheese to come from the cracker aisle. Oh, okay. Because that's where that's where it belongs. <laughs> Unrefrigerated. <laughs> yeah. It's like Velveeta when you cut it open. It's all greasy and oh, warm. Yeah. Oh, my God. But you know what? Velveeta makes a really delicious melted cheese sandwich, I'm just going to say. It also, like, if you work in other better cheeses, it goes really well in mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it... It gets that gooey consistency. Yeah, it's the creamiest, the dreamiest. So if you get like a good, like sharp cheddar or something like that, and then you like, you know, it's majority good cheese, and then you just put in like maybe a third Velveeta, mm-hmm. it gives it just that nice creamy texture to it. I know, I know, sacrilege, but no, I mean it's it's sort of like our uh, sort of like our movie season, just like these <laughs> drinks. It's like a little. A little clammy. A little cheesy. Velveeta is the clamato of cheeses. <laughs> it sure is, Matt. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Clamato and Velveeta. 
Hey, we're taking sponsors where we can get them. <laughs> I'd be honored if both those like no. Can you imagine? And I would gladly eat both those things on air. Yeah. Like what if what if the deal we struck with Clamato was that we had to drink a Clamato beverage every episode and like little cheese cubes with Velveeta and toothpicks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> High class podcasting <laughs> over here. Just clamato cocktails and little Velveeta cheese bites. I'm uh, the, our producer over here is doing the cut motion. Don't talk about the anymore. Okay. Oh, Sorry. I guess the deals in the works. God, I guess. I don't, I didn't don't know. Wanna, yeah. Okay. Can't, can't spill the details yet. <laughs> um, Matt, I had a topic for opening banter for us. Twitter or Facebook origin. Neither. This came from my own brain. What? What are you, an author? I... <laughs> Actually, the origin of this is that I recently rewatched a comedy from my childhood that I remember as probably still being funny, but didn't age very well. Okay. <laughs> I mean, The Naked Gun Two and a Half. Oh. Um, but uh, there was a moment that I had forgotten about that. I was cry laughing at it's oh. it's a joke that Frank Drebin is talking to Robert Goulet and he says uh, I've been dating too. nice girl an author she wrote the book on male sexual dysfunction you've probably read it I beg your pardon Frank please oh it's all right I'm sure that we can handle this situation maturely just like the responsible adults that we are isn't that right Mr. Poopy Pants I was dying <laughs> dying and I remember that that was like something that made me laugh as a kid when I watched that movie, which I should not have been watching that movie as a kid. But my question to you, Matt. Yes. Is there a comedy or a moment in a movie that you feel will always make you laugh out loud? There's a couple that come to mind. One movie that we watched uh, for the podcast, uh, Adam's Family. Mm -hmm. The banter between Morticia and Gomez that gets laughs out of me almost every time when, like, you know, she's in bed and she's like, Last night you were unhinged. You were like some desperate howling demon. You frightened me. Do it again. Anytime they're talking is fantastic, but specifically... That line every time. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, I don't know if I laugh out loud, like, hard... But I definitely like get into like giggle fits when I watch the birdcage. Oh, I know, okay. cliche pick, but Robin Williams when he's like showing the dancers like how to dance, he's like, "You do an eclectic celebration of the dance. You do fussy, fussy, fussy. You do Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham, or Twyla, 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 or Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, or Madonna, Madonna, Madonna." But you keep it all inside. I love that. I'm just like. Even though I know that it's coming and I've seen it a hundred times, I'm just like, it's so good. He's so animated and then so reserved. It, beautiful. Comedy is just such a, a genre that ages so poorly, generally. Mm. That uh, yeah, yes and no. Like I feel like a lot of the older comedies, like silent comedies, I feel age better than silent drama or horror or especially romance. Yeah, like, I mean, I think an exception to that is Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is really good at making comedies that stick he's got two real good ones and he's got like two or three pretty good ones and then he's got like six well i'm not saying they're all great <laughs> but uh, like young frankenstein is a oh, yeah. classic so and it will, good it's always gonna be funny i mean i'm always gonna laugh at what's cloris leachman's character's name in that frau blucher 
I also, Madeline Kahn at the end when she's cuddling with the Frankenstein's monster and she's telling him about how like she has two hampers, one's for dirty shirts and the other's for poopoo undies. <laughs> you and your poop jokes. I think it's a solid movie. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> also Clue. There's just, oh. when, when the singing telegram woman gets shot. I am your singing telegram. That kills me because it's completely out of the blue and it could be such a momentum killer for the movie Uh but it's just funny yeah and for no reason yeah god i love clue put a pin in that one that's probably gonna pop up someday someday yeah of movies that make you laugh <laughs> did today's movie make you laugh at all matt oh boy there was a couple moments yeah it's not a comedy though right no okay just making no. sure not even a dramedy this is a dystopian gay romance this is like a low budget 1984 Oof. today's movie is called altitude falling 2010 the first in our race to the bottom <laughs> we're just not clever around here so yeah. <laughs> that's that's what we're we'll probably it. come up with something by from 10 episodes from now we'll have, we'll have during a title the double feature we'll have a good name yeah for it <laughs> that we'll just retcon until back then it's tbd <laughs> so uh we're choosing bad gay movies because if there's a a single genre you you know you have your 80s musicals, I have my erotic thrillers, mm-hmm. but in the Venn diagram of our interests, the one that really overlaps the most has got to be bad gay movies. Yes. We've both been down separate mine shafts looking for gold <laughs> here. I love that the mountain's big enough that we could do that <laughs> and still be finding different, you know, deposits. <laughs> like... We've been probably down these shafts <laughs> pretty regularly since we were like 17, 18 yes, is when we started. Yeah, Blockbuster, like I would rent them there. I downloaded, you know, episodes of Queer as Folk off Kazaa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> then once Netflix first started its streaming, one of the main categories they had was LGBT. And I was like, click, 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 click. Just... Movies that could not afford uh, mass distribution. <laughs> yes. And uh, learned a lot in that time period. Well, today's movie, Altitude Falling, I literally was just like, I'm in the mood for like a gay thriller. Like, there's not many of them, and there's even fewer that are worth watching. <laughs> and this is not one of them. <laughs> but I went to Scarecrow, and they have an LGBTQ section. Okay. And I literally just started in A... <laughs> and got to altitude and pulled it out and i was like oh dystopian futuristic takes place in like 2029 uh i was like all right we'll see what this is like and uh yeah that was about 40 days ago (laughs) do you regret that decision it's a mixed bag. Yeah. There, there's some highs and lows in here. There are some highs and lows. I'm glad to hear you say that. I was worried I was going to have to be good cop on do, today's episode. Does it, does it meet our criteria for a bad gay movie in spades? A hundred percent. Does 
it qualify as being redeemable in any other quadrant? Probably not. No, not really. And that's a question I have for you. Like, so there, in this genre of bad game movies, uh-huh. there's like, there's things personally I'm willing to forgive in a gay movie that I'm not in other genres. Oh, totally. If Danny in this was a 20 year old girl, this, like, oh. this would be crap. Like turn I turn it off. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be able to finish it. Yeah. But because there's like that element, we're willing to sit through so much <laughs> yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> like normally something I'd turn off in five minutes. I'm willing to just sit like, all the way through. No, no, give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And turn around a month and a half later and be like, let's watch this one. <laughs> it's amazing how bad it gets that I'll still just sit there. Yeah. We're like, just so thirsty for it. Even in this day and age where there's good representation, I mean, I can't emphasize enough how awful this movie is. Like, this movie is shit. <laughs> Let's okay. So I'm going to, okay, I will, I'll be a little bit of a good cop here. This seems like a passion project of Paul Bright. Yeah. Who is the writer, director, director, writer, director, producer, and star uh-huh. of Altitude Falling. Yeah. And I thought that he did a lot more work on it, too. I thought that he was also doing, like, you know, costumes and editing and all what that junk. costumes? Well, that's the thing. Is like, I was like, okay, I'm going to cut him some slack because if he's doing all the work, then, like, you can't keep your eye on everything. But he had people doing, like, the sound work, mm-hmm. which was... Spotty. <sighs> I hope that man did not get paid. Because <laughs> There's like, that scene where they're, like, walking next to a train. Yeah. Where there's such an obvious jump from when it's dubbed to Mike. I like, know. <laughs> tell them your name. Give them your Dennis Lee number. And tell them you got to go because you're helping somebody in the garden. I have to think about it. No, don't think about it. Just go. I look before I leap. Just like your mother. You know her, too. Oh, we met. Think about it. Or just the beginning opening sequence when he's riding his bike and the credits are rolling. He uses the same bird sound like seven times. And I'm just like, honey, you got to switch it up. Yeah. No, there was. But I mean, anyway, I've gone to bad cop again. But like, I'm just saying like. We should preface this whole season with, like, it's hard to make a movie. <laughs> so, like, well, I watched this with my boyfriend, and I told you that, and you're like, you made him watch this? <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> uh, and at the end, I was like, you know, we're, when we were done watching, I was like, God, that was so bad. I can't believe I watched it for a second time. <laughs> and he goes, whatever. You couldn't make a better movie than that. <laughs> I'm like, give me a little credit. <laughs> But all that said, this did feel a little indulgent on Paul Bright's part. Yeah. I'm going to say. Yeah. Because he is naked for parts of it. um, And he gets to make out with the hot young boy, Daniel. I'm going to have to ask him now. Hit her to quit it. Danny. Probably not. No? Not even under the right circumstances? I mean, maybe if it was like last call and... He showed the slightest about him interest in you. Yeah. I mean, that be- he has a belly ring, like a little belly I know. jewel. <laughs> it, like, it gets revealed oh. like two thirds of the way into the movie, and it's only revealed because of like the lighting catches yeah. it. Yeah, and you're like, oh no. And then Paul Bright has both of his nipples pierced. He's got kind of a creepy smile. Like, when he first like makes out with Danny, it's like he's eating his face. Yeah, it's a really, like, it's a real kiss. Like, <laughs> 
tongues ablazing. <laughs> and he like pulls back and then does this like kind of creepy smile that I don't know. It's like a I hate to say it, it's sort of like one of those smiles where it's not like your eyes don't smile with you. <laughs> made me uncomfortable. I mean, there was a lot of things about this that made me think that Paul Bright might just be a bit of a narcissist. Yeah. Because it's not that he's a bad-looking older man, but he's not, like, so attractive that, like, random 18-year-olds are just going to, like, fucking trip over their dick to get to him. <laughs> like, yeah. So I, I should say I ended up watching this because it's online. You could watch it yourself, listener. Just Google it, and then it's on Paul Bright's uh, YouTube channel. I feel so bad because I, I rented the DVD, and there's bonus features. Oh, <laughs> the bonus features are, like, a couple outtakes and then him asking you to buy the DVD so that you can add it to your personal library and support more feature films from Paul Bright and Silly Bunny Productions. He has another movie out I saw. Like, it's on his channel. But he also has all these, like, tub-talking vids, which are him sitting in a bathtub with his shirt off talking. I didn't dare click on any, but, like, I think he's doing movie reviews. Why not? Because I... There's only so many hours in a day, Matt. <laughs> I think that just kind of reinforces your idea, though, that he, he he might be a little bit comfortable with his body. Which, like, more power to him. Like, he's not, like, unattractive. He's right. got, like, right, right, right. Like, like, good, solid, like, wolf features. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing about him in the movie that you're like, oh, I get it. It's not like he's, like, Humphrey Bogart with Lorne Bacall. Where you're like, oh, I mean, age discrepancy, but like, whatever, I get it. It's like, mm, no, this is like, <laughs> was he already banging this Danny kid before he cast him? He's like, you know, sleep with me and I'll make you a star. Or did he cast him thinking that he could like, you know, casting couch him during the movie or something? That's the vibe I got. The thing is that you can't help but ask those questions while watching <laughs> this movie. <laughs> like... Regardless, even if it's completely innocent, it has that vibe going yeah, on. Yeah. So, um, we should mention the plot a little bit because so it's not. It, it's your classic the worst plot. Big Brother plot takes place in 2029. Fun fact: Death becomes her. The funeral at the end takes place in 2029. Oh yeah. Yeah. I really want these to be in the same universe. <laughs> All American citizens have been chipped for identification purposes. Mm-hmm. And it started out that it was, like, for medical reasons, like, but then it just turned into, like, the government chipped everyone, and then they used it for just identification everywhere you went and tracking. So, you know, Big Brother is watching us, that sort of thing. Uh And that's really, like, the only dystopian part. And then there's, like, this, like, endless war, very, like, 1984, like, you're always at war sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And there's a recession going on, like, nobody has a job, and... Uh, like probably the coastline is has flooded or something yeah at one point danny says and this has got to be the stupidest thing he's like there were these people living on the beach at home when there was a beach there's still a beach (laughs) it's just not the beach that you remember like they're still inland yeah they're still where water meets land (laughs) but uh apparently danny and his mom were living five miles in from the coast and she didn't get insurance because she thought she wouldn't have to worry about her place flooding because they were so far in, but it flooded. Yeah, five miles doesn't seem that far from the coast. Yeah, I would still get flood insurance. I worry about a flood and I live on a hill. Yeah. <laughs> like... And so 
she and Danny moving with her mother, who used to be a movie star back, Just, you know, when she was making that movie with Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> What movie do you think she did with Spielberg? Is it yet to be made or? Uh... Uh, you know, I'm going to guess she was in Lincoln. Oh, okay. She, she you know, they, they never address it. I think she's Sally Field. Oh, <laughs> this is oh okay. 2029 20, Sally Field. How far she has fallen. <laughs> that grandmother was the worst actress ever. I'm sorry. She's in all the other Paul Bright movies. Oh, she must just be his friend or something. But there was many times where she fumbled over the lines. <laughs> no, I have that note too. You take off those shoes. You'll be much more comfortable. I found some uh, steak today at the store, and we're going to have goulash. Part of me is like, there's no take two on this. There's no, there's no like one more for safety. But I was like, maybe this is the safety. <laughs> Maybe Aww. this is the one that was like, just make sure we got it all. See, this is where he needs to take a step back, cast someone as the main character so he can catch shit like that, rather than like... Are you saying that this is like a, a Paul Bright's Dark Crystal, that he was wearing too many Muppet hats? Yes. <laughs> and couldn't accurately... <laughs> verbalize his vision to the uh, actors involved. Absolutely. <laughs> Except I would say he's wearing more of like a fly fisherman's hat. Okay. <laughs> so inside this dystopian futuristic world where there's this endless war going on and a recession, they live in Chamo, New Mexico. And so there's Danny, his grandmother, his mother, and then there's George. Danny's bike gets stuck. Dabbed, <laughs> the the tire gets slashed. Oh, I'm skipping over a very important scene when the Dan garden scene. Yeah, Danny is like sitting like straight legged, ass on the ground, with his hands near like the the metallic part of the shovel, and he's scooping up like the sawdusty dirt at the top. You dug gardens before? Yep. And this kind of soil. Dirt is dirt. And I'm like, who <laughs> has he never seen someone use a shovel? Does he think that you use a shovel sitting down? I don't understand this. What was the direction here? It's like, oh, you know, we need to make you look at a So, like, just sit down on the ground. Just. Yeah, rest your butt there. There you go. And then, then just, yeah, scoop it like that. There you go. And action. <laughs> like, I was just maddened by this. I was like, has he never seen a human use a shovel? Good Lord. Apparently not. I mean, and then, you know, George comes in and mansplains it in an uncomfortably, it was, I think it's pseudo-sexual way. See, with this spade, I just ease it into the soil. Wiggle it around a little bit, and then gently lift it out. That was the worst innuendo I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and if I was standing, I'd get the fuck out of there. Yeah, I'd also be like, no, sir. But apparently this Danny was turned on, or... Yeah, Danny was kind of into it, At I least, think. like, it was... But he still left? Yeah, maybe he was uncomfortable with his feelings. Oh, I guess we're skipping over another important scene. I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place here. It's okay, a scene that I would like to deconstruct because I'm still like rattled by it. I'm ready. The beginning scene when they're in the shop and scan and scram. Or or 
Is it called the caboose? caboose? Collectible caboose? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Which one is it? Because the collectible caboose has like a, a sign. Yeah. Collectible caboose or scan and scan. I also have the same note. Just <laughs> settle down. <laughs> We're addressing it. But George walks in and... It's like Minority Report style, where it like identifies him because of his chip. Hello, Gregory. Scan and Scram has a special price on Minoxidil. Stock up today and keep a full head of hair. Hello, Shirley. Scan and Scram has a special price on Maximum Protection Tampons. I'm pretty sure she's hit menopause. Come on, Chip. Also immature. <laughs> also, they walk in, and it's the same shot for all three people who walk in. George, this old lady, and then this- Some no papers. Yeah, bizarrely hot guy who kind of looks a little methed out, honestly. Like, mm. he's ripped, but he's got crazy eyes. Yeah. And while there's the voice for George and the old lady, it doesn't have a voice for this guy inferring that he doesn't have the same identification that everyone else has. But this is supposed to be some sort of convenience store. But, like, the backdrop here is literally an empty shelf. There's It's a, it's a blue shelf with literally no merchandise on it. It's like a Hallmark store, though, because there's those weird toys. It's like a seasonal store because they're stocked to the brim with Christmas baubles <laughs> and cat food and nothing else. I don't know what it's supposed to be. But it's where everyone shops. Is it the scan and scram or is it the collectible caboose? That's my main question. We still haven't settled that because when you walk in, the chip says, welcome to the scan and scram. Yeah. Um, but the sign very clearly like, says collectible, collectible caboose. caboose. <laughs> I feel like that's something that was an easy fix. You either just call, you like... You know, make it like an Apple Pay situation. We accept Scan and Scram here. Sure. At the collectible caboose. Uh-huh. Or, like, don't say Scan and Scram. Yeah. Like, you just, it's just a thing. Why? This is an easy fix. But I was, I was also just confused with what people were buying there. There was, like, the weird bears that moved in the one scene. That's later on, though. And they moved, like... Seizure bears? Yeah. <laughs> is that what they were? No, they, they moved, like, uh, uh... Man-eating plants in bad horror movies, <laughs> but that's a different scene. So, this uh, this guy who, when he walked in, no name was said, inferring through the power of cinema that <laughs> that this he's <one's> different. different. <laughs> he approaches George, and he's sort of like bashful, and 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 he's like, "I'm a tourist just trying to ride the train, and um, I, I don't I don't think my chip is gonna work." And he's like, it'll work here. They work everywhere. And like, he's like, it's just, I don't think mine will. And he's like, you'll have to come out to my place. This was a pickup scene. And apparently George is so adept that he like picked up on it real quick. Yeah. So they go back to George's place and he's like, take off your shirt. And George like goes to scan him with something for some reason. So, all right, all right, all right. I'll do the broad strokes of the scene, but then we need to deconstruct it. Okay. Because I, I need to know, like, I need to know what happened here. Okay. George holds up what looks to be a bent velvet clothes hanger. 
<laughs> over his shirtless shoulder and was like, I don't see a chip here. And it's like this big thing. It's like, you're a no papers, which has to be the least original name I have ever heard for someone who's off the grid in my life. In my 34 <laughs> years of existence, I've never heard of something so unimaginative. And I work in an accounting firm. <laughs> what would you do? Anything. <laughs> Gritter, off the gritter, anything. (laughs) Oh my God. So then there's like suddenly tension between them and he's like, fuck you. Why'd you pull your chip out? There's a fucking war going on in Venezuela right now. Anybody that goes over there does not come back. Look at, look, I'll I'll suck you off. But after that, just fucking forget about me, okay? And he's like, no, 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 just get out of here. I don't want any trouble. (laughs) What? happened between the two of them like did george buy food for this like hot meth head i don't think so because that that was the thing oh and then right? the, and there was the 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 it was like he was bartering food for sex yeah, right yeah maybe george wanted more maybe george wanted to make bread with him and then he realized that because yeah, he was like take off your shirt like the moment the guy stepped in but it was like a, we didn't see George buy food or supplies or anything like that. I figured it was like an Amazon Go situation. <sighs> but even then, it's not like they like walked it. Like, I mean, I know this movie's powerful cinema, but I literally saw them walk out with nothing. Yeah. So then I'm like, oh, was it just a pickup situation? Is it a prostitution situation? Is that like, what happens at the collectible caboose? Maybe it's the the pickup spot. Oh, maybe. Oh, now we're okay. Now we're getting to the bottom of this collectible caboose conundrum. So because they go back to George's place, but George deduces that he's a no papers. <laughs> Then he's like, look, I'll blow you, but then I got to go as if he's like, I still just like really need your cock in my mouth. (laughs) So like, don't kick me out yet. And then why didn't, why did he want him to get out of there? Because, oh, because he was, but they, they can't, hmm. I mean, no papers are are fugitives of sorts. They're outlaws. I was going to say like, maybe George felt worried that they would find the no papers and then like if he was associated with them like they would come and kill him because you know spoiler alert he's in exile kind of in this new mexico town but they can't search for no papers because they don't have chips so like why would that be a fear of his the dynamic of this scene like there's a power imbalance switch and i don't know how it switches or from who to who or why and yeah just like the shirt taking off and he's like i'll I'll blow you, but then I got to take off, but nothing else. And I'm like, why? Why Why are you going to blow him? What is he giving you? Is he giving you food? Is he giving you money? Like, what is this? Also, if you're like a starving prostitute, how are you so ripped? (laughs) That guy must bench like four times a week at least. He's got one of those abductor things from the mid-90s. Do you think he auditioned for Daniel, but uh, Paul was like a little too old? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) He's like, you'll be the guy I reject. <laughs> anyway, I just, that scene no, boggles my mind. Yeah. And that's like the opening part of the movie. And don't, I think that introduces sh- the main themes of the film. <laughs> I will just say in that uh, sequence, there's a scene where they're biking uphill, quote unquote, to George's house. And it is clearly a flat area that they have just <laughs> tilted the camera slightly <laughs> to make it look like they're going uphill. 
Why? Why do we have to make it look like he's a, on a on got look. It's got to seem like Paul's a really rugged outdoorsman. He's but a, you're in the mountains. Can't you film, like, going uphill somewhere? He's trying to be, you know, one of those, like, do-it-yourself sovereign citizen types. Okay. I mean, that's why he runs a bike repair shop that's presumably at the top of a hill. <laughs> that, you know, the worst place to bike to. Why? Yeah, why would you have your bike shop at the top? Of, oh, well, as he says, works for me. <laughs> Everything a business wants. Yeah. More privacy, fewer customers. <laughs> so Danny and George meet at the garden. And to me, they have sort of an acrimonious exchange. Yeah, it does not seem like... Like the, the seed of lust isn't... Good. I don't see it planted here. Mm-mm. But it must be. Yeah. Otherwise, then, the rest of the movie makes no sense. Yeah. Danny's bike gets slashed, as we mentioned earlier. Goes to get the bike fixed. And Danny just seems like he wants to get out of there. But, may- oh, maybe that's when it sp- starts because that's when he sees George Paintless. And he's like, oh, I got to get some of that D. <laughs> Boy, that Pantsless scene comes out of nowhere. No. Like, nothing about this movie leads up to that or justifies a, like, full dong. But auteur, Mr. Bright thinks differently than you and I. He sees things in a different light. Yeah. And he's like, you know what this scene calls for? No pants. It's like a character trait of his because later when he talks to uh, Danny's dad, who used to be George's roommate, he says, Shut up. You wanted to do it with me the whole time Angie and I shared the apartment with you. Not even. You walked around naked every time Ange left for class. What does that say about George? No, it's a recurring theme, though, because he gets invited to dinner at the grandmother's place, and Danny's like, you got to wear pants. He's yeah. like, well, if you say so. <laughs> <sighs> He's a free spirit. I think that's what that's supposed to say. So Danny, like, they have an exchange. He offers to, like, fix the bike for free or patch it up, patch up the hole. So do you want a new tube? Or do you want me to fix the hole? And then a romance blooms. I mean, he gives him the bike for, you know, the bike fixes the bike for free because he's like, you'll be back. And Because <laughs> I'm going to do a <laughs> shitty job <Yeah. laughs> repairing this bike. And then Grandma, Grams, is like, I don't want you to be indebted to this guy. So she's like, you got to go give him some coin. And he goes to give him some coin, and that's when he's baking bread. Oh, I God. Think, right? And it is... The worst dough yeah, I've ever it's seen. It's more like batter yeah. than dough. Yeah. And then he like gets his hands in there to mix the dough, and it just gets everywhere. And they start to like... Yeah, no, they're, they're trying to like pull a ghost it. here. Like. Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> when a man loves a woman Oh, my. <laughs> uh yeah and then he does he like oh he does the worst thing where after they've got all the like batter on their hands he holds them and goes oh it's just so cringy it's so bad right and then they bake the bread the loaf comes out it looking looks fine. fine yeah you know i'm not the biggest baker in the world but i like i've dated people who actually like make made sourdough like regularly 
And that's not at all what their no. dough looked like when they put it in the oven. Mm-mm. You know, usually it had a volume to it of some sort. <laughs> so romance blooms between, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't want to be ageist and I also don't want to yuck other people's yums. Which I think we did with the John Waters episode, but I think John Waters is asking us to do that. Yeah. Like, he wants us to just be like, all right, you broke me. Yuck. <laughs> but, I mean, how old do you think George is in this situation? Well, he's younger than Grams, according to Danny. <laughs> he looks younger than Grams. But he doesn't, though. Yeah, he, he doesn't, really. No. no. I would guess I'm guessing 50s. Okay, I was going to say late 40s or early 50s. Yeah, I would say somewhere in there. But he's what the kids call a daddy. Yes. Question for you: the scene where the grandmother goes out to wave at the train, uh-huh. <laughs> like there's a scene that I swear to God lasts for seven hours of her putting on makeup. <laughs> she gets like the mascara or eyeliner underneath, up above, then she switches eye, <laughs> then a little little rouge and a little eyeshadow and then she like primps her hair a little bit and I'm like did we really need to see like both eyes like getting done here like I think it, if we saw one we'd get the Assume gist that she did the other both. Yeah. if she came out with like full on clockwork orange you'd be like oh okay well <laughs> but <laughs> never you know, mind <laughs> you know we could see her like doing a little touch up in the mirror and then cut to her in full makeup and we as a sophisticated audience would connect that she, in fact, did the whole makeup job herself. <laughs> but, the, no, the makeup scene I'm watching, I'm like, how long is this going to last for? Yeah. And then it's for... And then she comes out dressed <laughs> like she's going to a funeral. So she's sitting in her shitty backyard. There's literally no grass in her backyard, despite having what seems to be a sizable backyard. Mm-hmm. She's got this terrible metal table out there, and she's got, like, her cup of tea or coffee or something. And she watches the train go by, and she waves unclear if anyone waves back train looked empty to me i'm just gonna say it and then after the train leaves all this soot like just rains down on her all at once and she like put a little plate over her her cup of coffee Uh and then like empties that out and like brushes herself off and then goes back inside i'm like this was seven minutes of my life Of my life, Ryan. I did it. I'm going to tell you. if you counted the time I watched this first. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's bad filmmaking that part. Like, it actually is like if it was a short film or something, I'd be like, okay, whatever. No, Woman goes, you are does wrong. her stuff. But it has Do we need no to see her place put... in the movie. But the full makeup job. Like, we see... Like it's like a behind the scenes thing of like how this woman like puts on her own makeup to be right, DIY. I mean, we, could cut, we could cut down the makeup scene, um, but like I don't know. Woman goes out to watch train and train puts soot on her. I'm not saying I want to watch it. I'm just saying like as far as filmmaking, it's one of the better moments of this movie. Boy, because at least it's consistent and he had like it seemed like he had a vision was like took the time to tell the joke like it's supposed to be a joke with like the soot and stuff so like there's this long build-up for a crummy punchline but at least like it shows that he was thinking of like the ending kind of all right you can put your good cop away now (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, I don't know what it's doing in the movie. It's definitely just, like, what the fuck? Why is she waving at the train anyway? Like, th- does she think that people are going to recognize her? I thought there was going to be some B story. Yeah, it would, no, she, did, she does talk about how when she wears her Desdemona hat. Oh, yeah, you were in Othello. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> was that what Steven Spielberg directed? Yeah. <laughs> does she? Does the train conductor, whenever they go by her house, be like, and if you look to your left, here's a washed up movie <laughs> <Yeah>. star. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that train is actually like a maps to the stars yeah. route. <laughs> this she's, is... she's contractually obligated to be out there in her Desdemona <laughs> at 3 p.m. every day. <laughs> That's one of those scenes where I'm just like, she's putting on makeup and then like, and like when it was done, I was like, are we going to get the cold cream now too? Like, <laughs> And then she goes in and takes it off. Yeah. Maybe that scene would have been more service with a little more music, which... You mean the, I was gonna <laughs> the Noisiem or the so I've known a ragtime composer in my day, <laughs> and like Scott Joplin's a real ragtime composer who actually does good composition, and I swear to God they chose the most uninspiring rag they could possibly find in his oeuvre. And I was like, you know, if you needed a cheap rag, I, uh, a guy named Ryan Whedon can pump them out for you. Uh, yeah, and it was—it felt so out of place in this like futuristic dystopian world, and they—and he kept going back to it. The, it was the, like the love theme. Well, like the Satie piece, like the Noisiem. That was okay because it's like moody, sure, it's impressionistic, sure, like. A little cliche, I'll give you that. But this, yeah, the Scott Joplin thing, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I hated it. It kept oh, coming back, I and I was just it. like, come on. This was like 2009 that he was making this movie, right? 2010, mm-hmm. 2009. Like, go on the internet, find someone who has music that you like, and just send them an email, say, can I use your music in my movie? It's Pull not a that John hard. Carpenter. Like, he, like, when he did the Halloween theme... He didn't know how to like read or write music. He just fiddled around on a piano till it sounded good. You're obviously going to like gay bars to cast this, so yeah. like I'm sure you can find someone who's a musician. Is there no dueling piano bar in seriously New Mexico? Come on, mm. man. Mm. The music was very bad. So God, we're like 20 minutes into this movie. <laughs> George is a total scrimper, right? Because he was like playing the little piggy game with them after they got out of the river. And this little piggy uh, dropped out of the world and became a recluse. <laughs> and this little piggy fell in love. And this little piggy ran all the way home. This is when it really started to get uncomfortable for me because it was like he's sort of treating him like a baby, kind of. And then like Danny gets him a present and it's that weird like seizure teddy bear yeah and then that's right after that is when they make out for the first time and i'm just like i am so uncomfortable right now this is the least erotic thing i've this, ever yeah. seen <laughs> I and i've watched showgirls <laughs> there's just like a weird vibe to like that their whole romance thing they like i just i don't get it i'm jumping well we also need to mention yeah that like danny is the son of his best friend, friend. Yeah. yeah and at one point he calls him and he's like i think danny's gay that's what this is about. You want permission to date my son. It's like, yeah, that's is what he's calling for. It's so it's so gross. Yeah, it just adds this layer over everything that makes it a little not okay. Yeah. So one thing that we haven't broached yet that I think we really should 
is that quote unquote technology in this movie. <laughs> this was from 2010, but the technology that they were using wasn't even modern for 2010. <laughs> Like, they have little remote controls that I swear to God look like children's calculators. They have, like, huge palm-sized remote controls for their televisions that had, like, six indecipherable buttons on it. And, like, their televisions weren't even large. I'm like, this is 2029. Like, I guess they're flat screen. They got that going for them. Yeah, and see-through when they're turned off. So that's a thing. And actually, credit where credits do. When they're turned on, they're still a little see-through. Like you can like oh. see like the corner. Like. And they look like like it's obviously like put in in post. The, yeah. The, and and it lined up. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> credit where credits, credits do. do. But especially on Michael's end when he was talking to George, there was just like numbers scrolling. Uh-huh. On. I'm like, what are those numbers? It means nothing. Is that code? Is that stock? <laughs> like what? What is that? <laughs> it wasn't like you know. SDJ up arrow 1.5. It's just A S D F J uh uh colon K L <laughs> like over and over again. I was like, what the fuck is that? What are those numbers for? Like, what is that telling him? Is that the Matrix? <laughs> like, <laughs> is he just like blonde, brunette, redhead? <laughs> Venezuela, Vietnam. <laughs> Okay, so just while we're talking about Michael's office, I did like his boss, whoever she was. I I, <laughs> I bought that. <laughs> that frumpy old woman. She seemed like some wizened old spy who's been through the shit. We're getting intel. The no papers in the San Juan Mountains are planning to strike the major cities. What are you getting? When Michael was first talking to George, there was like an incoming call. Uh-huh. And it like showed that woman's face. And he goes, oh, God's calling. Hold on. Um, and I thought that was his wife. <laughs> Could be still. We don't yeah, know. I, I was like, maybe he works with his wife and she's his boss. Yeah, like, Still possible. I've lost track of where we are in this movie. I don't understand why they have to flee exactly. I know that like well, somehow they Danny found out. Danny enlisted in AmeriCorps, which apparently is like, you know, good work. But they're sending all the AmeriCorps people to Venezuela, Venezuela to, to quote, rebuild unquote, build houses. houses. But they're just gonna like throw a gun in their hands, I guess. And anyone who goes to Venezuela doesn't come back, according to that like crazy guy at the beginning, Mr. Meth. Mr. Meth. So George doesn't want Danny to get drafted, essentially, into the Venezuelan War. Which, let's be honest here, if we were in a war with Venezuela, we'd win. Like, we'd, <laughs> we'd get it done. Like it would not be an endless war. I also like the inference that. The president in this dystopian future is a woman, uh-huh. and she's the one that like got everyone into this mess. Like, when she was elected, we thought she was just going to change everything, but this is what we have now. And I was like, oh, oh. He d- he seems a little misogynistic with the tampon jokes and the warmongering female president. I don't know. I don't know, Paul Bright. I think you got some issues you got to work out there. So yeah, they have to do. They have to like take out their chips, and they're gonna go live with the no papers in the Swiss cheese mines yeah. of <laughs> New Mexico. Mountain. Yeah, and so they cut out their chips, and they use the same knife, and they do not sterilize it between cuttings. Did you notice that, Ryan? It's twenty twenty nine. 
AIDS isn't a thing anymore. Well, there's other diseases. I know. I, I like obviously hepatitis won't be cured in the future. <laughs> I was also like, those chips aren't very deep. Like they they hack them out with an exacto knife. <laughs> you could like pop it like it's a zit. G- just like- kinda. <laughs> like when I get zits now, I actually just like take like a needle, like thread and needle, and pop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, that's all it would take to get that chip out. Yeah. It wasn't like they did dig it out like total recall style uh-uh. yeah when and then after they do when it's bleeding there's just like a little bit of yeah blood. well you know it's like they tape the chips on when you're young <laughs> and then your skin just kind of grows, grows over, over it, it. Yeah. yeah and then you're good no that ending scene when they started like getting emotional like it gave me diarrhea <laughs> like i literally had to like go to the bathroom and just like it was a three flush situation <laughs> Well, if you would have watched it here, you could have just watched it from your toilet. <laughs> I, I wish I watched it at home, yeah. <laughs> I could have hopped from toilet to toilet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> give one a break. <laughs> Don't want to wear it out. <sighs> and then they, like, yeah, they make out and burn their thumbprints off. Or they, they burn their thumbprints off, and while they're doing it, they're making out. And it, the sound design on it is terrible. It's clearly, like, bacon sizzling while they're doing it. Yeah, it's like... Maybe this is a fault of my own. I don't equate things frying with sexuality. Maybe the sound of meat sizzling up gets some people going, but it's it's not my thing. Meat sizzle ASMR yeah. is, is a thing for people. George says one of the things that I hate the most, he's like, I think Danny's been teaching me. Yes, if you two are good for each other, then age doesn't matter. He can learn from you. I think I was learning a lot from him. He has been a petulant brat the whole movie. <sighs> Do not be like, oh, he's been teaching me. He hasn't taught you shit. You're both dumb. <laughs> I'm not a child. I wanted to talk a little bit about how there's an effort here to make sort of its own lingo in this movie. They keep saying, like, what are you, uh, a, a gun? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a gone gun- guzzler. Gu- gu- yeah, a gunoozler. Don't talk to me like I'm a gun goozler. And then there was another time where he's like, Now I'm going to give you some coin and I want you to go back this afternoon and pay him. I don't want him to think of you as a shuler. Which I'm like, that almost sounds real. Like I was kind of convinced. I was like, oh, maybe that's the thing. Are they saying weird last names? Or are they just making up words that. Gungoozler were- kind of does sound like, you know, oh, what am I, an Italian? <laughs> Like those are way more creative than no papers. Like I know. If you can come up with that. Why why don't you come up with that lingo? I know. It kind of reminds me growing up my stepdad was Croatian and there was a term that he used whenever I was like just being like a kid and doing something annoying, uh mutsitor. Okay. And I'm like that sounds like what it is. Like yeah. someone who's just being annoying for no reason. Mm-hmm. Uh and Gunguzler kind of has that same onomatopoeic vibe to it sure where it sounds like what it is in like the schuler is that the other yeah. one yeah i'm like that could be a word i could see that like being a thing i could get behind all that i don't know it's all context you get yeah. that like that's fine all that said i think a big problem in this movie is like the script needs another pass another writer <laughs> it's just it's kind of dense to be honest like, a lot happens in this hour and a half that we're spending with these people. And there's moments where if you weren't paying attention to every line of dialogue, the next scene would come up and you'd be like, wait, what? Why is that happening? You really have to pay attention. And I don't mean that in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I would like, if you'll allow it, to steal a segment from the How Did This Get Made podcast. Okay. Uh, where they do uh, second opinions. These are people who gave this movie, this movie, five stars on Amazon. This is from uh, Dana Phelps. Okay. It's very low budget, but is an interesting and intelligent film. This reminds me a lot of masterpiece theater or good British drama. Ooh. That there are LGBTQ themes is not essential to enjoy the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I beg to differ. This is from Amazon customer. Five stars. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Don't miss this one, says Jeff Labby. I just watched Altitude Falling, and I recommend this movie to everyone. Paul Bright has outdone himself with his latest indie production. There is something for everyone in this movie. Mystery, suspense, some skin, great acting, and a sharp plot. Bravo to Paul. Keep making movies. Check to make sure that person's not, like, in the movie. (laughs) So, some people like this movie. Some people gave this movie five stars. That's what makes America great. We can have opinions. <laughs> so, yeah. So it could just be us. Maybe we just don't get it. Maybe we're just not on its wavelength. Maybe. Or maybe this movie's shit. gonna say thank you for making me watch that <laughs> we really i think we i think we really explored this one thoroughly mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this was an interesting part of the mine and i appreciate you taking <laughs> me over there um and it seems like you you know this is this is a very like um hand carved you're working with pickaxes kind of low tech like low budge if you will chipping away with clams yeah. actually <laughs> So um, I'm going to take you to a more modernized part of the mountain here. There's a little more, you know, machinery going on, a little more money thrown at it, but it's just as bad. <laughs> uh, and I just, yeah, I think I just want to prove to you that, like, just because you throw more money at a project doesn't make it good. Okay, okay, okay. We're going to... Revisit for me, probably visit for the first time for you, a little movie called Testosterone. Oh, I don't think I've seen this one. It stars uh, Antonio Sabato Jr. Oh, he had angles that worked for him. Sure, sure. I don't remember who the main guy is, but um, Jennifer Coolidge has a, a cameo in it. Okay, okay. And do not watch the trailer because she has the funniest line and it's in the trailer. Okay. <laughs> so I'll go in fresh. Yeah. Cool. It's one of those movies that's like... Maybe not that bad, but it's one of those middle ground, middle ground bad, middle bottom bad. Like it's a D. <laughs> bottom D? I'm sold. <laughs> it's one of those big D bottoms that you've heard about, you know? <laughs> wow. 
So uh. just quivering in anticipation. <laughs> Okay, we're having too much fun, I think. We gotta we gotta shut this down. We gotta shut this clamshell. Alright. Are we ready to plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? Well, we have finished the chicken picnic. Hey, listener, this is your chance to go on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us some five stars and a review. Specifically, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, Stewart Blumpkin. It's easy. Five stars. We wrote it for you. Just go on over, type it in, clicky click, you're done. If you want to follow us on Twitter, at XRatedMovies. If you want to follow us on Facebook, at RatedXMovies. And, you know, send us ideas to talk about. Send us your favorite funny moments. Funny moments. In moment. a film. Yeah. Or shitty gay movie. Or, you know what? Maybe it's both. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and you can do that on those two platforms or at x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And visit our website xratedmovies.com everything is there every little thing we've ever done big or small is there we're gonna have to update the staff picks <laughs> section soon oh my god it's gonna be all big d picks our favorite big d picks <laughs> big d bottom picks <laughs> anyway until next week keep reaching for that rainbow bye bye <laughs> <laughs>